Blog Talk Radio. Here, 
uh, or articles that we're going to be talking about or that just, you know, that I'll read through, if you will. So I'm going to go way down here and see if I can find the first one's very, very short. It's about yours truly. Got some media coverage up in uh, Pittsburgh. I'm trying to think if that's Illinois or Indiana, uh, but it's um, came out uh, regarding my tour. Chicken Whisperer will be speaking at 6 p.m. April 19th at Big Tuck's Feed and More in Pittsburgh. So we're looking forward to that event. Uh, I'll be up in Wisconsin and Michigan, Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio, five-state tour. Coming up here, we'll launch uh, the first event, I think, is April 18th. And we'll be, uh, uh, you can see that, uh, our schedule, where we're going to be, time of the events, uh, everything the event includes, fun times, uh, on our uh, website, chickenwhisperer.com. So you can check all of that out. But uh, we got some uh, media regarding the tour, which is always good. Let's see, the next one. Uh, is very interesting. Uh, j- just started coming out this week. Uh, get all these alerts and uh, some interesting information. Not necessarily geared towards the backyard folks necessarily, but uh, still, if uh, you're into poultry and something to be uh, uh, maybe interested in, especially if you purchase ever purchase chicken uh, to eat. But this is an issue. There, there always seems to be some type of issue they're having to overcome or deal with um, feeding the world and the way they uh, um, raise poultry in the uh, commercial industry. But this is a big topic for this week anyway. U.S. chicken industry addresses woody breast meat texture. Um, The chicken industry is addressing the woody breast phenomenon through research. The National Chicken Council um, Vice President of Communications uh, has quoted Um, Recently, the industry and consumers alike have become aware of a muscle abnormity in chicken meat, commonly known as woody breast, that causes breast muscle to be hard to the touch, often pale in color with poor quality texture. It affects a very small percentage of the chickens that we raise, but does not negatively impact them from a welfare standpoint. In addition, there are no food safety or health concerns uh, to customers because of this muscle uh, condition. The exact cause is not known, so industry has embarked on research to determine the exact cause as well as possible solutions to this quality issue. Though the U.S. Poultry and Egg Association, in conjunction with geneticists, veterinarians, and animal scientists, the industry is funding more than a quarter of a million dollars on four separate research projects and independent universities and USDA's Agricultural Research Service to understand the root cause of this muscle condition and um, remediate it as soon as possible. Chicken companies have employees and processing plants looking at every piece of breast meat for any quality issue. In addition, USDA Food Safety and Inspection Service personnel that inspect chicken for issues that could impact food safety and wholesomeness. And so I saw another article on this earlier in the week that I read, and it talked about um, the fact that over the years, um, through breeding different types of chickens for favorable traits, and now we have uh, the broiler chickens in America that are ready from hatch to processing in about five weeks, um, that that article talked about maybe one of the causes being that We've got these chickens growing so fast, putting on so much muscle, and that has to do with conditions, uh, keeping light on them, temperature control, 
um, having feed available 24-7. You, go, you, you want to know why they have lights on all the time in the uh, boiler houses because so they can uh, see the feed and go eat the feed and keep eating the feed because they can see it. That's light and da 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 That's one of the reasons. But um, so, so that article was talking about the possibility of because uh, we're raising chickens like we raise um, around the world uh, commercially that just the massive growth in a short period of time is maybe contributing to the cause of this issue. So it's, uh, I'll keep following it and let you guys know when these studies come back out what, what the cause may be. But um, if it is because uh, of the issue of having to produce um, as much chicken as they can at an affordable price to feed the world, to feed uh, the folks that can't afford free-range pasture-raised chickens and they're just not going to do it, and raising chickens like we do, so people who are demanding 99-cent chicken nugget meals at the fast food restaurants, raising chickens like we do in America because people want that $12 entree at Applebee's, uh, raising chickens like we do because they want boneless, skinless breasts for $3.99 a pound, raising chickens like we do in America because people want a $4.99 rotisserie chicken at Walmart. Um, that's why they're doing it. And so... Um, because these people want a 99-second chicken uh, sandwich at the fast food restaurant. So um, good, bad, and the ugly. Uh, Woody Breast is uh, what they're calling this now. And don't be surprised if the uh, research shows that it's because of maybe the, the speed of growth from hatch to processing in five weeks that may be causing uh, this. But it's not found in all the chickens. So you would think maybe it's just something we're starting to see now uh, that may spread to more chickens, and they're trying to nip it in the bud now. But that's a little bit of chickens and news for you on the uh, commercial side. Let me get over here to uh, something a little bit more. Oh, this is interesting, too. Uh, about two years ago, I did a TV segment uh, on uh, CBS regarding all the different egg carton labels from free range to cage free to organic, the no hormone, no hormones debacle, all that kind of stuff. And uh, it was uh, received very well. And now farmers welcome new national standard for free range egg production. So free range versus pasture raised, uh, again, there still needs to be more definitions there because it gets tricky when you look at labeling, just like um, the, the pork industry, when you buy some uh, ribs, uh, baby back ribs, whatever, and it'll have a big star on it, say raised without, um, you know, uh, added hormones. Well, they haven't been legally allowed to use hormones in the raising of pork since the 50s. So it's like, you know, they're bragging, hey, I'm, I'm abiding by the law. Can't add it anyway, but it looks good on my package. Uh, same thing for the egg producers. Uh, no added hormones are used. It's been illegal to do federally since the 50s. A lot of them put that on the package because that's what people want to see. They want to hear it. They want to say, oh, no hormones. I want this package. Uh, but none of them do. And it's been illegal federally to do that since the 50s, but it's just a you know big labeling, uh, marketing uh, thing. Farmers have welcomed a new uh, national standard for free-range egg production, saying it's a win for common sense consumers, farmers, and chickens. Uh, Minister for Small Business Kelly O'Gore and her state and territory colleagues signed off on a new standard on Thursday. I think this is over in the U.K., by the way. Uh, the national definition of free range will require hens have meaningful and regular access to the outdoors. Now, here in the United States, um, free range uh, basically means um, they the, the chickens in this long 
chicken commercial chicken house, uh, they have access to the outdoors. So that may truly mean there's a small by 12-inch door at the end of this 300-foot-long um, chicken house. Uh, outside that is a concrete pad with fence around it. And if any of those birds choose to walk outside there and to walk back in, that's the definition of free range, uh, apparently, in, in the United States. Um, whether those birds walk outside or not, they have access, quote-unquote. So here's not too much different. Um, that, will, that will require hens to have meaningful defined net and regular access. It uh, doesn't mean they have to go outside. doesn't mean they're going outside apparently here. It just means they have to have access through a little door outside. Whether they utilize that or not, it's a different story. And that the density of chickens outdoors must be no more than one hen per square foot, per, per, excuse me, per square meter. Um, and so obviously it's from Europe. Farmers of free-range eggs will also be required to uh, prominently disclose their outdoor stocking density of their hens, allowing consumers to easily choose their preference. Farmers had lobbied for the 10,000 birds per um, hectare, uh, which is an area um, standard, and uh, said it was supported by science. So um, obviously they're having the same issues over there regarding over here and the labeling trickery if you will, with what means what on eggs and meat and everything else. Maybe later this afternoon I'll post on my Facebook page um, that story I did uh, a couple of years ago on what all these egg carton labels actually mean. Organic, free-range, cage-free, uh, no hormones, that type of thing. And there's actually uh, at least two big popular um, nonprofits that um, – you can look for their little um, logo on meat and eggs. I think one's called Humane Raised or uh, Humane something. But 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 if the company itself chooses to participate to have their logo on their packaging, they have to abide by so many of these different rules: humanely raised and then what cage size, non-cage, all this stuff. And so you can look at those uh, as well when you look at your food to see if it has that little label. And then the company, if they want to participate in that, has to abide by extra um, standards by this nonprofit that's uh, supposedly run for the best interest of the uh, animals. And then to give the consumer a little bit better idea of what they're actually purchasing. So uh, that's chickens in the news for uh, today. A few things I thought that might um, interest some of our listeners. So I'm going to go to our first commercial break. And during the break, if you want to get a pen and paper down, when we come back, we're going to talk all about coops, um, just about anything and everything. We'll go through, uh, if you're buying a coop or building a coop, things that need to be incorporated in the coop, from the bedding to the roost to the nest boxes to ventilation to predator control to cleanliness, um, different things like that, really from A to Z. So that's a segment that we do when we're on the road and doing our, uh, our presentations and workshops. So we'll be doing that as soon as we get back. So that you can during a commercial, it takes some time to get a pen and paper. And uh, so you can be able to take some notes when we get back and talk all about uh, all about coops, anything and everything from A to Z. If we have a chance, we may open the phone lines a little later as well and take some callers if you have questions about uh, starting a coop, building a coop, buying a coop, different coops that are on the market, different materials that are used. We'll try to get everything in here uh, during this show. Of course, I may forget something with my old brain, but uh, we'll do what we can. So stay with us. We'll be back right after this short break. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. 
Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. full a day directly into their water is all it takes for a stronger immune system. Introducing ePoultry, an all-natural, whey-based soluble that will help improve your flock's overall health. Made by farmers for farmers right here in the USA. ePoultry is a safe, all-natural way to give your birds the strong immune system they deserve. Learn more and purchase at www.eanimalproducts.com. That's www.eanimalproducts.com. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's 
Sofa Chickum. All righty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisper, brought to you by Kalmbach Beads. Today we're talking all about coops, and uh, we'll go ahead and get started with that topic after we've uh, finished up our Chickens in the News segment. Um, whether you are planning to buy a coop already built, buy a kit that you, so you can build it yourself, uh, or just hey, go you know, wing it, no pun intended, and go to the big box store, the home improvement store, buy all the materials and look at some plans, or create your own plan and build one, or buy one off Craigslist. However, that it coop is going to end up in your backyard. There are a few things that need to be incorporated into that coop, regardless of how you buy it or build it or it ends up in your backyard. We're going to be talking about a few of those today. There is by no means any shortage of coop availability out there. You can buy coops on Amazon, have them delivered to your door with free shipping. Um, there are many companies that started making, you know, garages and woodsheds, and now they're making coops as well. There's Amish coops. Uh, materials are endless. There's there's plastic coops that are molded, like the Snaplot chicken coop. No tools needed at all. It ships to you, and you snap it together with your hands. That's simple. Uh, Brincy has a, a lot of coops uh, just like that. I think it requires maybe one tool, if that, to put together. You've got fiberglass coops. I, had, I think the, the, the um, ad that I did for today's show included uh, egg stream coops um, that was all fiberglass construction. You've got wood coops uh, made out of cedar and any other type of wood you can imagine. You've got these uh, Insta coops coming out of China all day long on the big freighters that are just pretty box with a nice picture on it for retail sale. They use it like a fir wood. Um, you name it, uh, you, you, the coops are out there. Those of you new into this uh, backyard poultry lifestyle hobby, may not remember, but about five or six years ago, um, there was a, I guess we called it a turning point in, in the uh, lifestyle or, or um, the movement of keeping backyard poultry. And uh, William Sonoma, uh, kind of a, a yuppity up style, a high class magazine or store, um, they started carrying chicken coops in their magazines and online uh, where you could buy chicken coops. And a lot of people, wow, well, if William Sonoma's doing this, it must be the thing. And, um, so they they started carrying some higher-end chicken coops as well. And then if you subscribe to or shop at Neiman Marcus, which many people call needless markup, um, every Christmas season they have a, um, I guess they call it something like a fantasy Christmas catalog. And a few years back they had a chicken coop uh, kind of showing you how this movement has grown over the years that was, I'm not kidding, go look it up. A hundred thousand uh, dollars. The coop was, uh, I guess, modeled after, designed after uh, the Palace Versailles, and uh, included chandeliers. And I had never heard of her name before. That would fly in and help you pick breeds and set up your hundred thousand dollar chicken coop. Don't know if they even sold one or not, but uh, there's no shortage of finding coops anywhere. Uh, in America, have it shipped right to your front door, fully made or in a box where you have to make it, no shortage. But when you start looking, there's some things you need to uh, be aware of, and, and, and as you look at the coop, go through this mental checklist. Now, uh, I'm not sure which, which issue it was. It was last year, I will post it on our Facebook page, a great chicken coop checklist, if you will, a great article by poultry scientist and professor Dr. McRae, uh, just some things to think about when you're looking at buying a coop, kind of what we're doing today, 
And uh, I'll post that for you guys uh, this afternoon so you can just click on it and read that article. She has a lot of great suggestions as well. So uh, if you think about coops, what, okay, here's this coop. I'm looking at it. What's really the first thing? Um, that you want to put at the top of the list. And, and, and if you spend a lot of time on these Facebook blogs and forums, you'll understand what I'm talking about because there are way too many posts out there about, I lost birds to predators. I'm so shocked and upset last night when, uh, and this morning. And there's so many, so many predator attacks out there. And, and, and really, if you think about it, there's no excuse. Why did, why did you lose birds to a predator? Look in the mirror. It's your fault. You either didn't do the research uh, or, or took shortcuts or didn't spend the money necessary to actually get the most predator-proof, that's a loaded term, uh, run and coop possible to protect the birds that you say you love so much. It's totally unacceptable. Um, can you do anything uh, regarding a bear? No. Uh, a bear can rip the door off of a Ford F-250 pickup truck. We've seen the videos. We've seen the YouTubes. We've seen the forestry service uh, photos of that. So so good luck with that. <laughs> uh, maybe trying to delay the t- amount of time he gets the bear. To, so, so if you live in bear country, good luck to you. Uh, but but these posts are, aren't bears. They're they're possums. They're raccoons. They're uh, weasels. They're neighbors' dogs. Neighbors' cats. These are things that you should, as a responsible chicken owner, be able to successfully keep out of your run in your coop if done correctly. So when you're looking at that coop, number one, uh, at least on my list, is to look and see how predator-proof that is. Now again, predator-proof is a loaded term. How predator-resistant? There can always be this rare occurrence, this oops, uh, it got in over here, this was the weak point, and they found it and they got in. I get it. But if you look at some of these issues, uh, whenever there's a post, uh, I just lost chicken. How did they get in? How did they access your chickens to begin with? How did they get in your run? How did they get in your coop? Are they locked up at night like they should be every single night in the coop? Coop should be Fort Knox. Yes, you have different levels of protection. If you have a privacy fence around your backyard that's six foot high, that's your first level of protection. Next level of protection, of course, what they access that is the run. The next level of protection, which should be Fort Knox, nothing's getting into that sucker, you're coop locked up okay so let's talk about that predator uh as predator proof coop as possible and this this would be things like um does it have solid walls or they are limited openings uh for ventilation which we'll talk about today uh behind the openings is there not chicken wire chicken wire will do a good job keeping your chickens in but it's not going to keep any predators out your your regular old domesticated house cat can get right through chicken wire let alone a possum and and, and skunks and uh, raccoons and dogs right through it so keeping the chickens in chicken wire yes Predators out, chicken wire, no. So you want to go to a good quality, and some of it is actually rubberized, so it's a little bit easier to work with, not not so scratchy and not so apt to cut you when you're cutting it and, and installing it, some rubber rubberized uh, hardware cloth, good quality hardware cloth with the little one-quarter-inch openings. Um, heavily stapled, these big staples, not like a little staple gun, but the staples that you would nail um, or um, uh, some type of... Uh, a staple that you, anyway, you know what I'm talking about, heavy-duty staples, nails kind of bent over, installed correctly behind any of those openings, the windows, the vents, things like that. So when they're open, uh, you still have some predator protection there. So the good hardware cloth, a lot of it's rubberized now. You can get it in reds and blues and greens and all these fancy colors to match your coup paint or whatever the case may be. Um, so, so that type of thing. 
predator-proof coop, number one on the list. Uh, other things, latches. Latches for the egg door, latches for the pop door where the chickens go in and out, latches for maybe a clean-out door that runs the length of the coop or you can just sweep everything out of the coop off the coop floor. Um, think about, you know, a latch that's difficult to open even for you. If it's not difficult to open for you, then I can guarantee you that the raccoon's very smart. They have fingers and a thumb, which allows them to really manipulate a lot of latches, a lot of switches, and a lot of different things. So uh, maybe a, a, a double type of latch where you have to un you know, open two latches to get in or two latches at the same time to get in or a latch with a, a carabiner that slides through it, maybe even a padlock or a, or a, a key lock, um, something that makes it very difficult. So look at the latches on the vents, on the on the um, egg doors where you collect the eggs, egg boxes, on the, on the, uh, the pop door that opens in, in the morning and you close at night, latches, 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 get some good quality uh, really hard to operate latches, and that'll go a long way um, regarding the predators and predators gaining access to your coop. There are some automatic coop doors that are out there that, based on how they're designed, you can program a time for them to actually close and open, or it can do uh, it can run by the amount of light that's outside. As the light goes in, in the evening, it closes. It opens. The light comes up in the morning. The sun it opens. Some of them have safety features where after it closes initially, five minutes later it opens up again to let any stragglers that didn't quite get in the coop in time <laughs> let them in. So they're, they're expensive, 200 to $300 for these automatic coop doors, <clears throat> but a lot of people use them. The bottom line with the coop doors, though, is I've noticed that even though they use them for convenience, uh, it just saves me from having to go out and put them up at night or having to go out early in the morning and let them out. I've noticed that a lot of them still, in fact, the majority of them still comment, yeah, even though I have that coop door and I spend a lot of money on it, uh, do I trust it? Yeah, but I still, before I go to bed, look out and make sure it's closed. And all the chickens are in the coop. In the morning before I go to work, maybe I don't have to go out there and open the door and you know, save me a little time. I still look out and make sure that door is open in the morning so they have access to the outside. So even though they have the coop doors and they spent money on the coop doors, they're still actually double-checking the coop door and to make sure it worked. So it can save you some time, but most people are still actually checking in the morning and in the evening to make sure it's working correctly, regardless of what they spend or regardless of what kind of quality they've got. So the, the coop door is uh, something to look at, too, if you feel you go that route. Um, so number one on the list regarding picking out a coop, how predator-proof is it? Um, that's number one on the list. And you'll see when you go to these, all these forums how many of these predator attacks are happening unnecessarily. So that would be number one on the list when you're kind of picking out, building a coop, predator-proof as possible. Everybody loves chicken. Predators have nothing but time on their hands to figure out how to get to your chickens, and they will if you don't do your job to protect them. Yeah, there's always the oops. There's always the, oh, my gosh, I thought I had done everything. Uh, but, but they're smart, and they've got time to figure out how to get to your chickens. So there, there will always be that little oops issue, but the number of uh, attacks that are out there, totally inexcusable. Okay, so that would be number one. Number two, something so many people never think about when they look at their coop, they're about to buy it, they're walking through it, they're shopping around. How easy is it going to be to clean? How easy is that coop going to be to clean? Is it easy to clean? And we're human, I'm human, you're human. If it's not easy to clean, let's face it, you are not going to clean it like you should as frequently as you should. You'll wake up, it's coop cleaning day. Oh, tomorrow it's coop cleaning day. You wake up and it's gorgeous outside. You're, maybe you're tired. Uh, 
oh, I want to go clean the coop. It's really a pain in the butt. I got to bend down. I got to walk on all fours. I get dirty. I get nasty. I got to get all the way back to that egg box, that nesting box. I can't even reach, and I got to reach the shovel in there. It hurts my back. <laughs> all these things, if it's not easy to clean, you're not going to clean it as often as you should. So that's something to definitely look at. Can you walk in the coop without having to bend over? Do you have to, do you have to bend over and kind of get a tool through the pop door and kind of scrape out the shavings? Can, can it be moved for you to clean and then move the coop back where, where it was going to be? Um, all this information, you know, two uh, good cleanings per year. We're talking about getting everything out of your can somewhere else for a day or two in your yard, having some type of um, area where you can keep them. Um, we're talking uh, scrubbing it down, oxine, bleach and water, vinegar and water, scrubbing every nook and cranny. We're talking about cobwebs. We're talking about scrubbing the roofs, the nest boxes, letting it dry, getting the birds back in there in, in, in a day or so, twice a year, spring and fall, really good disinfectant cleanings. In between that, you may have your weekly cleaning. Oh, just, you know, add a little bit of bedding. Maybe I do the, the, the deep litter method, or maybe, you know, I go in there and I scoop a little poop out of that I can and uh, then continue on or uh, whatever your weekly cleaning may consist of. Maybe you have quarterly cleaning, but at least twice a year, we're looking at good two-day, long day, the process, uh, cleaning or scrubbing, rinsing, disinfecting, the whole nine yards. So how easy is that coop going to be to clean? If it's not easy to clean, if you can't access all the roofs, all the all the corners, all the, the roofs, uh, all the nest boxes very easily, uh, it'll be a pain and you're not going to want to do it as, as often as you should. So that's probably number two. Uh, on the list regarding that. Moving on with things that may be uh, they're required for inside the coop. Let's just immediately get over to the nest boxes, okay? For the most part, generally speaking, and, and let me stop here because I want to share this with you. Those of you who are longtime listeners of the show, magazine, Facebook, whatever, you know, uh, when I'm on the road, my presentations, uh, workshops, speaking engagements, everything I say here like on today's show, Everything has been reviewed. Everything has been listened to by poultry nutritionists, poultry veterinarians, and poultry scientists to confirm that this is correct information. I don't want to lead you down the wrong path. This is not opinion-based. This is stuff that um, all the, the true poultry experts um, that have not only done this a long time, they have the education and they have the studies to back it up. This is what we're sharing with you today. It's not just I've done this and um, I've done this so long and it's worked for me. Uh, you know, that drives me uh, crazy. So um, the nest boxes, for the most part, size of the nest box, 12 inches square is what you're going to be looking for. Yes, if you are going to specialize in Jersey Giants, you may want to have a little bit bigger nest box than that. But if you have silkies, the 12 by 12 is going to be fine. 12 inches square for the nesting box. If Again, if you have much larger breeds, if you want to go 14 by 14, knock yourself out. Just a general rule of thumb when you're looking at the nest boxes, 12 inches by 12 inches square. Uh, so that, now we have a size. How many nest boxes do you need in your coop? Um, one nest box for every three to five chickens is what you're going to look for. Several years ago, I saw a gentleman on Facebook. He posted a picture of an entire wall of nest boxes in the coop he made. He says, I plan to have 25 hens. I just finished my nest box wall. I've got 25 nest boxes. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's too late. I can't save him any time or work. But uh, I, I, those of you who are experienced chicken keepers know exactly what's happening with that gentleman. He's got 25 hens. He has 25 nest boxes, and they are using four. 
<laughs> they have their favorites. Uh, and you know what's happening is that out of these 25 nest boxes, four are being used, four are their favorites, and you will have chickens, hens, pacing back and forth. They won't use the other 21 available nest boxes. Oh, no, I want that one. And when she is out of that one, I will fly up in there, and I will lay my egg. So 21 available ones, 21 empty nest boxes, not using them. They're pacing back and forth, waiting for that other hen to lay their egg. You know what I'm talking about, you experienced chicken keepers, so it's quite funny. One nesting box for every three to five hens is all that's going to be necessary for for that. You want easy access to the nest boxes, preferably from outside the coops. You don't have to go in or crawl in or bend down or, or, or whatever. Uh, just open up the outside egg door and uh, have access to those eggs. Easy collection several times a day if you can to prevent them from getting stepped on and getting dirty, getting crushed, uh, and eliminate a lot of the egg eating. Uh, regarding that. Really the number one material uh, that we find nest box are being made out of uh, are wood, uh, basic plywood squares. And um, if you can, if you're building a coop, uh, I would opt for it. It'll probably save you a lot of time and money-wise. It may be close to being the same investment as the wood. Uh, recommend either getting kind of a solid molded nest box, or a, a mold of, out of plastic of several nest boxes that you can just mount in or screw into the wall. Um, you're, by doing that, you're reducing your risk of mites and lice. Uh, they love the little nooks and crannies that a square wooden box is going to create. How many nooks and crannies does that square form? Eight, however many pieces of wood to form that box. That, that's a lot of nooks and crannies and crevices for mites and lice to hide out. So um, if you can, easier to clean, easier to sanitize. If it's a plastic molded nest box or several of them, um, or maybe even a metal nest box uh, uh, may, be, may be the route you want to take. Again, less nooks and crannies, but it's metal, easier to sanitize, less little hiding places for mites and lice as well. That also goes for these, and it was uh, people are still doing it, but it was a trend about a year ago, two years ago, about these nest box curtains. Yes, we understand chickens like the hens like some privacy when they're laying. Yes, they, we, they like a private, kind of out-of-the-way, darker area. We get that. Uh, and so people just got on this fad of making nest box curtains. Oh, I found this great fabric at Hancock. It's got chickens and eggs on it, and I just made some curtains for my girls. I love you guys, and I think that's great. You're enjoying your, your chickens, but that can harbor mites and lice, okay? So uh, not that they can't find another hiding place in the coop, but that specifically can harbor mites and lice, not to mention um, a lot of dust and what can be attached to dust diseases, illnesses, things like that. Uh, can, 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 salmonella can attach itself to dust and move through. So, so yeah, I was sharing that at, at one of my uh, presentations, and a lady said, well, uh, Andy, I don't have to worry about that because I, I, I wash my nest box curtains uh, every Saturday. <laughs> I'm like, well, good for you. I can't even wash my own bed sheets every Saturday, let alone go into my coop and wash my chickens nest box curtains every Saturday but if you can do it if you enjoy it you've had time to do that knock yourself out uh, my, my job is done I've given you the information um, I get the whole premise of nest box curtains but they can't attract and, and harbor mites and lice so uh, you want to watch that and clean them uh, often if you can so keep that in mind Okay, so uh, but the, there's a great nest box just came out on the market. We're giving a, we're giving one away actually in the uh, spring issue of Chicken Whisperer magazine. It's called the best nest box. It is made out of metal and it, it, it'll deal and, and handle a lot of hens. And it's a roll away nest box. So as since we're talking about nest boxes, so let's talk about the importance of that. How many times online, these blogs and forums, do we see? Oh, I've got an egg eating problem. Uh, how can I solve this? I'm going to tell you right here and now. 
there's a lot of things that may have worked for some people. We'll cover some of those. Uh, but they are not going to work for everybody. So let me tell you, there are two uh, 100% ways to solve an egg-eating problem, uh, and that will work for everybody. <laughs> okay? Uh, number one, whatever hen is eating her eggs, ready for this? Eat her. Stew pot. Okay, that's not for everybody. I know. Don't 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 hang up. <laughs> I get it. Okay, but that's a hundred percent way to stop an egg eating problem is to eat the hen that's doing it. Okay, um, not for everybody. I get that, but that that's for everybody out there on the planet. That's a hundred percent surefire way to stop her from eating her eggs. Okay, can't 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 argue that. The other issue is a rollaway nest box. Now, what it's it's a very simple concept. The floor of the nest box is angled. So when the hen lays her egg, if it doesn't immediately roll out of her reach into a little trapped area uh, that she can't access any longer, when she stands up to walk out, then that egg and release the kind of pressure that she's sitting on, the egg rolls into this little uh, trap area, trap door, if you will, um, and she can no longer access that. So if she can't access her egg, there's absolutely no way in the world that she can peck it, step on it, uh, whatever, eat it, the whole nine yards. So roll away nest box. I, I don't know of a coop manufacturer in America right now that is making roll away nest boxes in their coops. I don't know why. It is the cat's meow. They need to do this. They need to spend the money to do this because it will save a lot of problems down the road. Uh, and they're fabulous. I uh, don't know of a single coop manufacturer in America. Maybe if you custom order it and they can custom make them, but but right now you're hard-pressed to find any coop with a roll-away nest box, and I think it is uh, paramount, especially if you're going to build one to, to, to build these. It may be easier to just to purchase the system. And it's, uh, I wouldn't say it's expensive, but it's, 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 you know, you're building a coop for Pete's sake. But uh, it's called bestnestbox.com. Take a look at it, and it's a, a rollaway nest box. And you'll never have to worry about an egg-eating hen ever. And also another mistake you'll see on these blogs and forums, uh, egg-eating, you need to stop it immediately because it is a taught behavior. She will teach all the other hens to eat her eggs. That is a false information. Okay? It is not a taught behavior. It is a learned behavior. Okay, Andy, I know I'm being nitpicky, but I want to give you that information. Other hens will see her do this, and then they will learn to do it. She's not running around the flock going, hey, come here, check this out. Come let me teach you how to do this. No, so it's bad terminology, but it is a learned behavior, not a taught behavior. And um, if you don't eliminate that egg-eating problem, then you'll have a lot of other chickens, uh, hens in your flock eating eggs as well. Let's face it, you want the eggs, not your not your hens. So, um, so that's rollaway nest boxes is the way to go. Uh, bedding in the nest box, okay? The number one recommended bedding for nest boxes out there by the true poultry experts, poultry vets, poultry scientists, poultry nutritionists, these universities, whatever, uh, is going to be, just like we talked about it on Tuesday with the brooder bedding and the brooder, is going to be pine wood shavings. Okay, soft and absorbent. That is key when we talk about just about any type of bedding, soft and absorbent. And for us, cheap. Okay, you can get a big bale of it at the big box store for about five bucks. It'll last a pretty good long time. Pine wood shavings, several inches of it in that nest box to protect the egg um, and uh, from breaking on as it drops onto to the wood, what have you. So that's that's the number one bedding. Just like with the brooder bedding we talked about, well, it may not be our first choice, but two choices that may be acceptable slash approved would be hay and straw. Now, if you already have hay and straw at your homestead, at your house, wherever, uh, and you want to use hay or straw in the nest box, it's fine. Knock yourself out. Uh, but if you have to go out and buy bedding, um, 
based on price and based on what's going to be the best buy the pine wood shavings. Again, you got horses, you got goats, you have other animals, you already have uh, straw and or hay. Um, fine, you've already got it. It's not going to cost you time. Put it in the nest box. Not a, not a big deal at all. Hopefully there's not a lot of moisture in the nest box. There's not um, a lot of you know, water spillage there like on the coop floor and whatnot. So, but we want something soft and absorbent. And pine wood shavings is the number one recommended. Now, those of you who have had chickens for a long time, have used hay, have used straw, have used the nest, uh, had the, the pine wood shavings, including myself. Okay, I'm not a huge fan because what happens? <laughs> they get up there, they flap their wings to try to get comfortable, and all the shavings fly out to the bottom of the coop or the coop floor. Uh, they scratch it out with their feet. Even though there's a little lip there a lot of times to try to keep the bedding in the nest box, uh, a lot of times you'll go in, you'll have to keep adding the shavings up there. You'll keep having to keep adding the, the hay or the straw because they, they uh, kick it out with their feet or flap their wings and it flies out. Okay? What is my favorite um, use or, or bedding, if you will, for nest boxes uh, that's ever been out there. Very simply, a nesting box pad. If you go to look at the nest, bestnestbox.com, if you look at that rollaway nest box, uh, they utilize basically nesting box pads. And if you think the easiest way for me to describe that is a, a just a square 12 inch by 12 inch piece of, say, astroturf or artificial turf or artificial grass, um, that's kind of what they look like. Um, and there's many different types. There's some nesting box pads that are actually made and woven like a basket. And I'm not a big fan of those. Hard to disinfect and clean, and if their poop gets down into those woven, and not, not a fan. Not a fan. Don't even know if they're waterproof or not. What do I like? I like the scratchiest, most uncomfortable-looking nest box pad that I can find that I'm going to put in that nest box. Why? Several reasons. One pad out, I can shake it out, I can hose it off, I can let it dry, I can spray disinfectant on it, let it dry again, and throw it right back in there. I don't have to keep buying all these different types of beddings to put back in the nest box. I love nesting box pads. Plus, if you have the rollaway nest box, it's about the only thing that's going to allow that egg to roll down into that trap area where they can't access it anymore. Another reason why I like it, okay, regardless of what you may hear on these blogs and forums, <laughs> A nest box is not a place for your hen to go to get her nails done, gossip, get her comb done, and read Fifty Shades of Eggshell. Okay, it is not. It is not. Okay, it is a place for her to go lay her egg and get the heck out. We do not want them sleeping in there. We do not want them spending a lot of time in the nest box. We want them to go in there, lay their egg, do their business, and get out. Okay. If your hens are sleeping in there, if they're spending too much time in there, then what are they doing? They are pooping in there, which now that's more work for you. You've got to now clean whatever bedding that's out. You've got to clean the poop out of there. You're going to have poop on the eggs, which is not good. More time for you cleaning those eggs if you choose to keep them. Um, it's just a whole debacle. It's just it's really a pain. So we want them to get in there and get out. Get in there, lay your egg, and then get out. So these scratchy little uh, nest box pads are more comfortable on the tushy of this hen. So, uh, again, kind of a uh, uh, dual purpose, trying to get them to get up there, lay their egg, and get out. They don't want to spend a lot of time up there because it's scratchy. It's not real, quote-unquote, comfortable. Uh, but easy to clean, easy to disinfect, and they're not real expensive. You can look them up. Probably won't find them at your local feed and seed store or what have you. Probably have to get them online. Um, nesting box pads, uh, there's, a, there's a lot to choose from. I like, personally, the ones that look like the most uncomfortable and scratchy for the hen. <laughs> so 
they'll get up in there later and get out. You don't want to poop in your nest box whatsoever. It's just more work for you, both with the eggs and cleaning the nest box out uh, every single week. So that's uh, that's regarding nest box. Um, let's keep moving on as I look at the clock here. Let's talk about the roost. It is amazing to me how many people discount the importance of the roost. Oh, any little wooden dowel will work. I'll just run up here to the hardware store and buy one or um, whatever the case may be. They, they don't really focus a lot on the importance of the roost. Now, I will make kind of one statement, and, it, and it, you'll realize very quickly how important that roost is to the life of your chickens, okay? Uh, what do chickens do in the evening? As the sun goes down, they go back into the coop and go to roost. And when do they get down off of that roost to come back out? Twelve hours later, when the sun comes up and they're ready to go outside when that automatic coop door opens. So, realistically thinking, your chickens have the potential to be on that roost 12 hours a day. I know sometimes it may not be that long, eight hours. So we'll say between eight and 12 hours every day. So potentially your chickens spend, ready for this, half their life on that roost. If I'm spending half my life sitting in a chair, I want it to be a lazy boy leather recliner with a vibration and a drink holder and a magazine holder and a remote. <laughs> so think about your chickens being on that roost for 12 hours, half their life. So what does that tell us? Well, half of their poop is probably going to be under that roost. So since we're talking about poops today, you may want to somehow implement a poop catcher tray underneath the roost. Uh, it'll make your spot cleaning, your weekly cleaning, a little bit easier if you can just slide that poop tray out from under the roost and um, uh, dump it in your compost bin and then slide it back, and that's part of your – and you'll, you'll save a little bit on your uh, bedding because the poop's not falling down on the floor of the coop and getting into the bedding, which you'll have to replace and clean, blah, 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 blah. So if you can have some type of catch tray or poop tray underneath the roost, that can help you out time-wise, and it will be, be a little bit more sanitary. And you're collecting all that great poop to put your compost bin for uh, your garden <laughs> and your plants. So you got to love that. Um, so half their lives uh, are possibly on this roost. So um, we, we need to think about it, okay? How big does the roost need to be? Well, the general rule of thumb from all these experts is about one foot of roost space per bird, 12 inches. 12 inches of roost space per bird. Now, you and I both know our experienced chicken keepers. They're probably not going to use all that, okay? They're going to cuddle. They're going to get right next to each other. So if you're building this coop and you're like, ah, I really want to have 10 chickens, uh, but I don't have 10 uh, linear feet of roost space, I only have eight, it's going to be fine. Okay? So it's going to be okay, uh, but that's just kind of a general, you know, cutting uh, just one foot, kind of doing the math, how much roost do I need, uh, 10 chickens, okay, we'll need uh, 10 feet. Better. And you can have two five-foot roosts. You know, staggered, one above the other, kind of a little bit further back. So you have a, kind of like a stair system where you've got uh, several roosts for your birds, and they can pick and choose how high up they actually want to be. So that's kind of about just a general with a one foot of roost space per bird, but really we probably know they can get away with maybe eight inches, depending on the size of, uh, of the breed. Um, wood is going to be the most popular uh, and recommended uh, material for the roost. We don't want anything slick. Um, we don't want anything too coarse. Uh, two to three, just excuse me, two and a half, 
two and a half to three inches in diameter. And people say, well, what about a two by four? Well, if you look at the, the measure of two by four, it's really not two by four. It's like one and three quarter by three and three quarters. So that's still pretty darn close to the two and a half to three inches really in diameter. Round will be acceptable. Um, I know there's a lot, a lot of people, if you use a two-by-four, you definitely want to take the time to kind of round the edges of that to make it a little bit more comfortable. There's some argument out there about, well, you want to have a more flat roost than a round roost so they can, it's more comfortable for them and they can sit down in the cold winter months and cover their feet. They can do that on a round roost uh, as well. But the key here is really two and a half to three inches uh, in, uh, uh, in diameter if you're using that round roost. If you want to go out and, and, and for uh, a very wild kind of uh, really cool limb uh, or limbs that have fallen, it's like, man, I really like the shape of that. I could put that in my coop and even in my run and give them some roosting uh, area. I don't have a problem with that, uh, but you're going to want to make sure you look for, and this is our next topic when we talk about roosts, is you want to make sure you inspect your roost on a weekly basis. Okay, you're going to look for any splinters, cracks, frays, um, anything, anything at all. So if you're looking at using an outdoor limb because you like the shape of it and it happens to be the right size and length and diameter, um, you want to look at it before you install it, have your chickens on it, see if there's anything that can damage the chicken's feet. Um, uh, because when you think about it, when you know some of these roosts are four or five and six feet in the air, literally. So when you have an eight-pound chicken that jumps up to this roost, they are grabbing the roost with all of their might with their feet, and they're still twisting on it as they fly up there. They, they grab it and then continue to fly up, and their feet are twisting on it. So any type of splinters or cracks or frays or anything sharp, anything that can damage their feet can lead to bumblefoot. That's a uh, We do not want our chickens to get bumblefoot. Uh, it is not good. You can do the research on it. Uh, it. It's an infection that gets into the foot itself through broken skin, um, which you have a very coarse roost day in, day out, every day, several times a day of them hopping up there and, and twisting and twisting and twisting and causing an abrasion. And then eventually that abrasion opens the wound and then they walk in poop out in the run and then now they've got a bumblefoot or an infection that could turn into bumblefoot and it's not a very fun thing to have. So you want to check that roost on a regular basis. Um, how high does the roost have to be? There's some of these small coops. They're literally less than a foot off the ground with some of these coops, but it gives the birds the sensation of roosting. They roost. They feel like the higher the better based on a natural predator uh, escaping from predators and where predators can't get them, so they like to roost uh, for, for that issue. But even, even if it's a lower roost, it gives them the sensation of roosting. Um, and so the, so some of these smaller coops, they may only be a, a foot off the ground. Some of these larger coops, they could be four, five, and six feet off the ground, literally. So you have to think about that. But inspect that roost on a regular basis for anything that could damage the chicken's feet. Because, again, you've got an eight- or ten-pound chicken jumping up there, grabbing it with all their might so they don't fall off, and then twisting on it. Uh, even a, a, an abrasion on a regular basis can end up actually uh, breaking the skin and getting a... a that in there, causing bumblefoot, which we don't want. So uh, that's a little bit about the uh, the roost. Nothing like plastic or, or fiberglass is too slick, then they can't hold on to it to actually uh, when they're flying up to it, and nothing too coarse 
And so you have to use your imagination regarding that. But wood is the number one recommended material by the experts. And again, two and a half to three inches diameter. Two by four is fine. Just kind of round the edges a little bit for them. Uh, so they're not a, a, a more of a square edge. You get a more rounded edge, but a two by four would be fine uh, regarding that. Okay, let's talk, uh, move on, and we'll talk about bedding. This is always a hot topic, bedding for the coop. Just like it was a hot topic uh, Tuesday, we're talk about bedding for the brooder, okay? The number one recommended bedding across the board. Um, a decade of me talking with poultry scientists, poultry professors, poultry vets, poultry uh, uh, people with USDA, the poultry experts there, the veterinarians with USDA, everybody, everybody. Number one recommended, because the bedding will want to be soft and absorbent, okay? So, uh, again, our pine wood shavings is going to be the number one recommended bedding. Many, 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 many inches of bedding, regardless of what bedding you use, many inches of that bedding. We'll talk about that why in just a second. So pine wood shavings is going to be the number one recommended by the true poultry experts for bedding in your coop. Number two if you, like we said earlier, and Tuesday with the brooder, if you already have a supply of hay or straw, that's going to be okay. The problem, if you didn't listen to see the issue with straw is it's straw-like. It's hollow. So if you think about in the brooder where you've got chicken poop and heat and water spilling everywhere and rotting food, bacteria can build up in that hay, excuse me, in that straw because it's hollow, it's straw-like. Um, same thing with the coop. So you may have to deal with cleaning out the coop more if you use hay or straw than you would if you used wood shavings, pine wood shavings. It's not as absorbent as the pine wood shavings are. Uh, we want it to be absorbent because, again, water spillage and poop that they're going to be in there. They're in the coop maybe half their life when they're up on that roost. There's a lot of poop. Soft and absorbent. Why soft? Same thing with the roost. Some of these roosts are four, five, six feet in the air. Okay, Go drop a 10-pound bowling ball from five feet in the air pretty violent, right? You've got an 8 or 10 pound chicken that's jumping off the roost onto the floor of your coop. You want to to have a soft landing, okay? Um, how many times have we had Peter Brown, the chicken doctor, on and other chicken vets on this radio show? Numerous times people call in with a leg issue, my chicken's limping, whatever the case may be. How high are your roosts? What kind of bedding are you using? Uh, well, I don't have any bedding in there. I just have a, a, a linoleum flooring on on the wood, or I've got a concrete. There's no there's no cushion there for when this eight or ten. Yes, they can use their wings. I get it to try to flap and and, and uh, soften their landing. But a lot of these injuries for legs are contributed to a roost that's not necessarily too high, but because there's not enough bedding on the coop floor when they fly off the roost, so they're getting leg injuries because of that. So many inches of the pine wood shavings, many inches of the hay or straw if you choose to go that route for the bedding in the coop because of them jumping off the roost and landing on it. Soft and absorbent is the key. Twice a year we do a national, actually it's global webinar um, with USDA poultry veterinarians and every um, year it's mentioned about bedding and soft and absorbent is the key here. So let's open up a can of worms here and talk about a hot topic that's been going around uh, on um, uh, the internet, blogs, and forums, and that is using sand as bedding in the coop. I'm going to tell you right now, point blank, okay, I have never in a decade, yeah, that's 10 years, had any poultry professional, whether it be a professional breeder, a hatchery, um, the um, 
uh, what is that, the, uh, well, the USDA vets, of course. Any vet that I've talked to and interviewed uh, at any major poultry university, any professional, uh, anybody with a degree, veterinarians, especially avian veterinarians, um, the American Livestock Breeds Conservancy, I've asked this question to so many people in the last decade. What about sand as bedding in the coop? Nope. Nope, 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 nope. And then they have their reasonings why. Here's a reason, okay? Um, I've heard some poultry professionals, degreed poultry, claim that based on how sand is, could increase the chance of coccidiosis in your flock, whether it's in the brooder situation you're using sand bedding or uh, in the coop situation you're using bedding may actually increase the chance of coccidiosis in your flock by using sand bedding. Number two, okay, sand bedding may increase the chance of bumblefoot with your poultry. Why? What is the last thing the hens or your chickens are standing on before they jump up to the roost? Sand, okay? And so obviously when they jump up to the roost and they're standing in sand, there will be sand uh, on their feet when they grab the roost, very, very tight, and then their, their their feet are sliding, gripping tight, and turning on that roost. I want you to go out and grab a handful of sand. I don't care what kind of sand it is, river sand, construction sand, play sand, it doesn't matter, grab some sand. And then go, 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 go uh, with the sand in your hand, go grab a tree limb. Squeeze that tree limb really hard and tight, and then twist your hand on it. Tell me what happens. Tell me if that feels good. Tell me what happens if you do that every single day, several times a day. It's going to leave an abrasion on your hand. It could end up actually creating a cut or an open wound, which then can lead to bumblefoot. Okay? Is there a correlation there? Okay? So, so I'm just I'm sharing you this information in a decade of asking all of these poultry professionals. professionals. I've never not once. It's even recommended in the global webinar we did with USDA regarding uh, biosecurity for birds. Sand is not recommended for bedding in your coop. Um, here's another issue. Um, jumping down from that roost onto sand, okay? There's, it's not soft and it's not absorbent. Those are two key things we want with our bedding, and sand is neither soft nor absorbent. So you jump down off the roost onto the sand, maybe more leg injuries because it is not soft and can cushion their fall, okay? Um, another issue with that, uh, going down the list here, <laughs> there's so many. Um, uh, oh, if it gets wet and then it gets down to freezing, that sand can freeze into one just big block of concrete, basically, one big block of sand, and then it's no different than jumping down on, on concrete. The only advantage that any of these poultry professionals that claim if you use sand, the only advantage, uh, it's heavy. Uh, no, no, no not, not, not the advantage, just a disadvantage. But Dr. McRae uh, talks about, you know, sand is heavy. What are you going to do with it when you're done with it? What can, you know, it's heavy. You're going to have to move it, move it in and move it out. And it is, sand is heavy. Um, so that's a disadvantage. Um, but, but maybe the only advantage with sand is that you get to utilize your coop as a litter box, as you would a cat because you can take a little scoop in there and individually scoop out the poop and kind of shaking it and letting the sand fall through uh, and getting the poop out. Um, and that may be the only advantage of using sand. So if you want cats, 
get cats. We're not talking about cats. We're talking about chickens, and the sand doesn't belong in the coop as bedding. Um, and when you see somebody that asks about sand and his bedding, ask them to get to, to, to do you have any, uh, is this just your opinion? Is this backed up? Is, you know, does anybody else with any type of, you know, poultry, um, degrees, does anybody else, rec- is it just you that's recommending this? Does anybody else recommend it? Hey, look, if you're using sand as coop bedding and you like it, it's not my job to tell you to stop. Okay, if you're if you're using coop, if you're using sand in your coop as bedding and it's working for you, by golly, keep doing it. I'm not here to change your mind. I'm here to talk about coops and and and, and information about sand bedding, and um, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. But ask around. Ask if you find any poultry professional out there at any major university that specializes in poultry research, poultry veterinarians, and they recommend sand. Send me an email. I'd like to talk to them because in a decade I've never found one that's recommended sand to scoop bedding. Okay, so there, there's there's bedding for you. Okay, let's move on. Ventilation, very, 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 very important. Okay, um, we want good ventilation but no drafts. And, and the best way I can describe that difference is once your chickens go to roost at night, they're up on the roost, it's after dark or right after dusk, uh, you go out there, open the door, look at your chickens, kind of sleeping, hanging out in that zombie state <laughs> on the roost. And look if you see their feathers moving. If their feathers are moving while they're on the roost, due to wind, due to a draft, that is a draft, okay? We want to, especially if, if there's a draft while they're on the roost, that's that's not good. I don't care if it's summertime, wintertime, springtime, fall, it doesn't matter. Find out where that draft is coming from, eliminate it. Nip it in the bud immediately. We don't want drafts. It's very unhealthy for your chickens. Yet we want good air exchange and we want good good ventilation. So you may have to, depending on what coop you buy, add a few uh, ventilation ports. Uh, just make sure you back that up with some good hardware cloth and secure it very secure to keep predators out. But you may need to add some ventilation to some of these coops that are out there. Um, some may have too much ventilation, and you want to eliminate drafts. So, again, differentiate between a, a good ventilation and draft. Good ventilation, good air exchange, fresh air all the time uh, for them, uh, but no drafts. So when they're on the roost, look, if their feathers are moving, that's a draft. Eliminate that as soon as you can. And then if you eliminate that opening that's creating the draft, you may have to create uh, another vent somewhere to uh, maintain that good ventilation for your coop. Heating the coop in the winter. Those longtime listeners that listen to me, you know darn well what I'm just saying. Okay. Um, why is this so peeve of mine? Why is it such uh, under my skin? Because I'm the one every year for the last decade that has to post between really September and March about all these coop fires. Coop fire, coop fire, coop fire, coop fire, coop fire. Um, because of these dangerous heat lamps. Okay, um, chickens have been domesticated for about 8,000 years. Okay, we've only had electricity in America for about 100 years. What does that tell me? Chickens have been doing just fine without heaters in their coops for the last 7,900 years. Okay, um, when you wake up in the morning and it's 12 below zero, what do you look? What do you see when you look outside? You see little birds flying around looking for feed and water. I guarantee you those birds don't have a heat lamp up in their nest in that tree. They're doing just fine. Chickens are very hardy. Heat is far more detrimental to your chickens than the cold ever will be, period. That is fact. That is science. Okay? Um, however, that said, 
I've been doing this a long time, I know, and I'm not going to talk everybody out of heating their coops in the winter. I'm not going to do it. You cannot argue with somebody that has the mentality of, but Andy, I'll sleep better at night knowing my girls are toasty and warm in their coop. Can't argue with that. Fine. But if you're going to choose to heat your coop, just like we talked about Tuesday with the brooder heaters, you got to use do what you can to prevent that coop fire. You don't want to kill them with kindness. Coop fire after coop fire after coop fire from these absolute dangerous heat lamps that are falling into the shavings, the bulbs falling out, the, they're, they're shaking their heads after they drink water, and the bulbs shattering because it gets a droplet of water on it because they're so darn hot. Um, look into the sweeter heater. Okay, the EcoGlow 20 and 50 is really more designed for the brooder, but you can also use the uh, uh, sweeter heater for brooder as well. But the sweeter heater, if you must provide a heat source for your chickens in the winter, which we don't recommend, but if you choose to do it, okay, um, look at the sweeter heater. Okay, It's going to be a much safer heat source. This is not heating the coop. It mounts either right above the roost or on the wall right behind the roost to give your chickens some warmth while they're on the roost, but it is not heating your coop. Uh, that is not the definition of what this does, but it's much more safe, uh, safer than that, those dangerous heat lamps. So if you're going to use a heat lamp, listen to the show on Tuesday. We talked about mounting that, mounting it, taping it, using other mounts, chain, S-hooks, all this stuff uh, to prevent that coop fire. You don't want to kill them with kindness, okay? So uh, even though we haven't forever recommended, because it is what it is, heating coops in the winter, um, you got if you choose to do so for whatever reason, uh, please do it. And this business about oh, I've used them for three or four years and I've never had a fire, just absolutely blows my mind. It's you know that 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 mentality itself drives me nuts. It's used all the time now in these chicken blogs and forums. Well, I never washed my eggs and I've never had a problem. I use sand bedding and I've never had a problem. Uh, I've done this and I've never had a problem. I've done that and I've, I'll always kiss my chicks and baby chicks and chickens and I've never had a problem. Um, okay, well, I'm going to give you a scenario. And, and this may hit close to home with some of you, Okay. Uh, my dad just uh, passed away about a month ago. He was a uh, one, two, three, or four-time cancer survivor, okay? So saying something like, well, I always kiss my chickens, and I've never had a problem, okay, irritates me to no end. Well, guess what? I had a friend, and he smoked a pack a day, every day, for five years. And he would say, I smoke a pack a day, and I've never had a problem until tomorrow when he was diagnosed with cancer. But up until he was diagnosed, whether it be five years, ten years, 50, hey, I've been smoking a pack a day. I never have a problem. I kiss my chickens every day. I don't have a problem. Tomorrow is another day. I've been using a heat lamp for the last four years, and I've never burnt my cube down. Tomorrow is another day. Okay? Um, that, that, that philosophy drives me crazy when I see that. I've done this. That doesn't make it right. That just means you've been lucky. <laughs> That's all it means. Uh, are you personally had luck? But it's not across the board uh, because all you have to do is look at some of these, all of these coop fires. Uh, a veterinarian was just killed in a house fire two months ago in Maine. She was brooding baby chicks in her bedroom with a heat lamp that caught on fire. She is now dead because of that dangerous heat lamp. This was a veterinarian. So uh, to keep that in mind, um, and when you see that, I've been doing this for 10 years, and I've never had a problem until <laughs> tomorrow. So uh, just keep that in mind. 
Um, so that's that's the deal with heating the coop. Okay, since we are talking about poops today, so thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, let's see what else we're going to talk about regarding that. Um, I'm going to go to commercial break, and I'll think of anything else I want to add about the coops. Maybe placement of the coop, making sure the coop's off the ground, um, rodent control uh, in and around the coop. You don't want rodents. This this nonsense of people posting on these blogs and forums about uh, do chickens eat mice? And then everybody says, oh yeah, they eat mice all the time, and it's actually extra protein for them. Wrong. Um, not a good idea. <laughs> so we'll talk about that when we come back uh, as well. And if I could think of anything on during the break about uh, the uh, the coop situation, uh, predators, anything like that that I may have missed. All this is just right out of my brain. Uh, no uh, notes or anything like that. So stay with us. We'll be back. Don't go anywhere. A little bit more talking all about coops today on Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Combach Feeds. Be right back. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Strombergs family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Strombergs should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at strombergschickens.com. That's strombergschickens.com. Want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? Nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. 100% of all proceeds goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver Hen Aprons at Hensaver.com. That's Hensaver.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer, here to tell you that if you have backyard poultry, nothing is more important than making sure your feathered friends are safe from infectious poultry diseases. Learn the simple steps to keep your birds healthy by visiting this website, healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. That's healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. 
A message from the USDA. From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with The Chicken Whisperer. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. We're talking all about coops today, and um, the reason why it's just me and no special guest is because it is the fifth Thursday of the month, just like Tuesday was the fifth Tuesday of the month, uh, the first four Tuesdays, the first four Thursdays, for the most part, I have special guests that come on, true experts. I'm no expert. Uh, I, I consider myself really uh, just kind of a, and what we do, Chicken Whisper brand, as a medium uh, to get you, the great chicken keepers of the world, uh, science-based, fact-based, study-based information to keep a healthy flock. So, you know, a, a lot of folks may not have access to the poultry vet or the poultry scientist or the poultry veterinarian or what have you. And so we, we, we try to do that with the magazine, uh, the book. My book was co-written by poultry scientist professor Dr. Bridget McRae uh, for accuracy. Um, there were things in that book that I wouldn't qualify to write about, like poultry illnesses and diseases. You know, hey, no, of course not. I'm not going to just make something up or research something on Google and then share it as my own. No, we go right to the expert source um, uh, to get you that information. And so that's kind of what we're all about is just being a resource, whether it be our factorchickenpoop.com. That, that tell you what, man, has become absolutely fascinating to see the number of visitors every month that are now going to fact rchickencoop.com. What we do there is uh, we'll search blogs and forums and we'll look at statements, not just uh, an opinion, but a true statement. Somebody is posting this as fact, as science. They are posting a statement. Um, And we take that statement and we send it to one of our experts on staff and then we have them reply to it. And then we post that reply. So you can come back and see like uh, pumpkin seeds are an all-natural dewormer in chickens. That ended up being poop. Okay, uh, the two that I hope to have by the end of this week, maybe tomorrow or over the weekend, maybe Monday at the latest, depending on their uh, how how their schedule works, is we've got one that will be posted literally in the next few days. Two of them. One is backyard chickens are more immune to avian influenza, bird flu. Uh, than uh, commercial. And Dr. Petiski, poultry veterinarian and uh, professor at UC Davis, is actually going to be responding to that quote. Um, And then poultry scientist and professor Dr. Bridget McRae is taking one that that basically a statement that said, giving probiotics uh, to baby chicks reduces the risk of salmonella and other diseases later in life, I think, that that is a statement. Uh, so, so hopefully in the next few days we'll have those. We'll be posting that over on our fact or chickenpoop.com uh, page, which has become thousands and thousands of, of hits and reads every single month. I'm so glad for that. Though. So, okay, continuing on uh, with coops. Uh, you'll see a lot of coops that are built off the ground. Uh, not a bad idea, uh, especially if you're trying to eliminate rodents, rats, and mice from getting access to your coop. Building it up off the ground 18 inches uh, to, say, two feet uh, can eliminate a lot of those rodents from gaining access to indoor inside your coop. 
if you don't think rats can kill a chicken and all the toes off their toe, uh, all the toes off the chickens kill chickens eat their eggs they can uh mice let me tell you what rats are in this category too carrying a lot of disease there is nothing uh good that can come out of having uh rodents in and around your coop nothing uh mice can carry a lot of diseases salmonella being just one of them that salmonella in their poop uh, salmonella can be attached to their fur. Bird flu, avian influenza can be attached to their fur when they're walking through the coop and then they're shedding that fur. Uh, they poop in the feed. They, they poop in the water. Um, your chickens eat that poop pellet or, or what? Now there may be the risk of salmonella in and on your eggs from your chickens. So it is not cool uh, to encourage your chickens to eat these uh, 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 mice. Will they? Yeah. Okay? And no, you cannot watch your chickens 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They may, on occasion, rare occasion, uh, gobble up a mouse. Okay? But to encourage this behavior, to not take care of a rodent infestation because you think the chickens will eat them and they'll be fine, the chickens aren't going to be able to keep up with the number of uh, babies the mice can have. This is not going to happen. And all the disease and the infestation, if you see a mouse, if I see a mouse, uh, dude, it is World War Three. I'm doing everything I can to eliminate mice in and around my coop because I know it's not good for me and it is definitely not good for my chickens, which then may not be good for me because they could get salmonella in and on their eggs. Mice is nothing to play around with regarding having it in and around your coop. So uh, having the coop raised up uh, a little bit off the ground can eliminate some of that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the run because that's kind of incorporated with the coop uh, and these predator attacks having the coop uh, regarding pre- you know that run fence that you're using that welded wire uh, fence okay um, it really a lot of these predators that come out at night are going to be digging 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 under okay and think about this if your chickens are in the coop talking about coops today uh, and that coop is Fort Knox. I mean, it is as predator-proof as you can possibly have it, uh, let alone not not necessarily a a bear, (laughs) okay? Um, And that coop is as predator-proof as possible. You've got it locked. You've got the latches on it. It is good and it's as predator-proof as you can get it. Hey, you know, by by the the predators getting into your run, they might get some food, they might get some water, but they're not getting your chickens if they get into the run because they are locked in the coop at night during the day. You want that run to try to prevent, you know, dogs from running over in the neighbor's yard or whatever. But burying that run fence two feet deep, okay, 18 inches to two feet deep, burying that fence all around your coop, uh, predators from digging under. Okay, they will start to dig under. They'll realize that they're not going to be able to dig under, and they'll go and eat the cat food off your deck or the neighbor's deck or get into their garbage or go away and leave your chickens alone because they're not digging under. If they dig two feet deep, they actually if – if, if you run – just think about it. If your run fence is buried two feet deep, they have to dig much deeper than two feet because they have to get under that two-foot section that's buried under the ground. So they've got to dig at least two feet deep, more than two feet deep. Then they have to dig another two feet back up the other side. And a lot of predator experts we've had on this show state that some of these predators can dig good, like, one direction. They can dig down, but then they can't really dig a tunnel flat and then dig back up. They can just, the way they dig, they can dig down, uh, but can't really dig another hole back out. So we've had the predator experts on the show. 
Um, and so two feet deep for that predator fence. And, and that's a pain. That, that's a, a real pain in the rear end uh, because that's a lot of pick and shovel and axe and, and neighbors coming over to help and many weekends <laughs> that you're digging for this fence to go into. Uh, or maybe if you have the cash flow and the time, running up here and renting a ditch witch and just, you know, all four sides, burying that fence two feet deep. The most common and popular run fence ends up being welded wire, a 50-foot roll of welded wire, and normally the openings on those are two inches by four inches, okay? A weasel can still access that. Mice can still access that. Rodents can still access that. Uh, but the weasel's the big boy. A lot of weasels and even some smaller uh, fisher cats can access that size. And if you want to see a massacre, uh, look at an attack where a weasel has gained access to the coop. Uh, it's not pretty. And they are vicious, but they can access that. So, so that's why your coop is so important to make sure it is as truly predator-proof because if something as small as a weasel gets in through your run, through that, but that's the most popular uh, welded wire, four-foot high. Really, if you do a five-foot high fence and bury it a foot deep, 18 inches deep, then you're still looking at four so feet. So you may have to get that six-foot fence. Now you got a four-foot fence above ground. Um, but but that, that typical welded wire with a two-inch by four-inch opening, a weasel can gain access right through there and wreak havoc uh, with your flock. So nothing's perfect, okay? But if you do what you do, if you do the research, if you spend the money, okay, um, that you need to do to protect your girls, protect your flock that you love, and you spend already so much money on, uh, that there would be so much fewer, so many fewer. Uh, predator attack posts on these Facebook. Oh, my gosh. And what happens is, is I've found that when they have an attack, when they have a predator attack, they focus on the animal. This this must have been a raccoon. Uh, how can I trap it humanely? And ta- where do I take it if I do trap it? Can I shoot it? Can I shoot it legally? Uh, can I get rid of this one? How many more are out in the woods? People start focusing on what did it. They start focusing on eliminating that one animal that did it instead of focusing on Let's fix the problem. You're running your coop. Because, again, if you spend the time and research and spend the money on your running your coop, there's more raccoons in the woods. That's not the only one. There's more possums. There's more weasels. There's more hawks, owls, whatever, uh, wild dogs, neighbor's dogs. Um, they'll find a way a lot of times. So instead of focusing on that animal, focus on how it got in. Fix that. Redo your run. Do it right. Build it right. Buy a new coop, build, buy one that's more predator-proof, or fix the one you've got to, to make it more predator-proof. Then it doesn't matter if there's 1,900 more raccoons out in the woods. doesn't matter. They can't access your chickens. Um, so go, go, don't go backwards. Um, go forward and, and spend the money and, spend, and, and do the research to make your coop and, and run as predator-proof as possible. As far as placing your coop in the shade of the sun, and we're about to run out of time here, uh, you know, it's, it's a catch-22. Uh, your sick chickens are going to love sunlight. They need that sun. Uh, the UV light, uh, can, can, scientists will say, can, can eliminate a lot of uh, disease and whatnot, healthier for your chickens. If they're always in the shade and then it rains, you know, you got mildew issues and things like that, and then the sun hits it, keeping it in the shade under trees may be a no-no because now you've got wild birds that can, can, can nest in the tree above and then, and then their, their wild bird poop can come down in, in the coop. Um, 
So so it's a really a catch-22 there regarding a combination of sun and shade versus having it all in the shade and under trees. The, all that can be arguable. So there may be no perfect way or placement of, of the coop in the shade, under trees, out in the open, that type of thing. If you want to collect rainwater, this is a big issue as well. Um, if you want to, say, collect rainwater from your coop roof and, and have it run down into a collection barrel for your chickens, I've asked a lot of experts regarding this, and the jury's still out on whether it's going to be recommended or not based on a lot of stuff that can be collected in that. Um, but you don't want to go with an asphalt shingle roof because of all the toxins that can be in that asphalt that run off that roof into the water source that your chickens are going to drink. So if you want to get into that water collection process, a metal roof is going to be better choice if you want to do that for your coop to have the water. Uh, but if wild birds have access to your coop and run and wild birds poop on that roof, and then guess what? Rain washes that poop off into your chicken's waterer that you've designed. They get to collect rainwater. Then now that might be opening a possible disease issue with your chickens uh, because they are drinking uh, water that's been infected by wild bird poop, which could carry a, a, a number of diseases. So um, anyway, I've got like two minutes left, so I'm just going to kind of wrap it up here. Hopefully, if you're a newbie, uh, this was a great segment for you. If you're experienced, you've learned something new about your coop, adding to your coop, changing your coop, whether it be ventilation or bedding or nest boxes or the rollaway nest boxes or the nest box curtains or uh, whatever the case may be. Um, so, uh, again, the, the, really the top two, number one, when you're looking at coops, predator-proof. Number two, is it easy to clean? Those are always going to be the top two. Also, later this afternoon, I'll post that uh, article from Chicken Whisperer magazine regarding, uh, from Dr. McRae that talks about uh, coops and what to look for in the design of the coop and different things like that, which will be fabulous. So um, we return next week. Let me see what we've got. Uh, I believe uh, we normally on Tuesday have uh, Rip Stalby. Uh, American Poultry Association uh, poultry judge, he's going to be joining us Wednesday. So next week we've got a show Wednesday and Thursday. Wednesday we've got Rip Stalvey, poultry judge with APA, and then Thursday we'll have Dr. McRae, poultry scientist and professor, coming on uh, next Thursday. So two shows. We normally do Tuesday, Thursday next week because I have a travel issue. We'll do Wednesday and Thursday. So thank you very much for tuning in today. We do appreciate it. Visit us at Facebook and, of course, chickenwhisperer.com. And we hope you have an absolutely wonderful weekend. All righty, we'll see you next time. God bless everybody. Aww.